Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 128 of Connectivity. I am Scott Thompson. Uh, today we have three regular segments for you and then a bonus segment at the end of the show. Kicking things off, myself and Neil sit down with Jules from Renegade Kids to talk all about the Kickstarter for the upcoming game, Colt County. After that, Alex has a small prediction segment all about what to expect from next week's Nintendo Direct all about Smash Brothers. And closing out the regular show, myself and Neil do a little segment about Pokemon Battle Troze. And after the outro, stick around for a bonus segment all about the disappointing finale to How I Met Your Mother. That's with Zach and Neil. Enjoy. Hey, and welcome to Connectivity, where uh, we are with Jules Watchum from Renegade Kid. Hi. Um, I'm Neil Ronahan, and with me is Scott Thompson. Hello. And we're going to talk all about uh, Jules' new Kickstarter campaign for Colt County. So I guess before we kind of get started into the conversation, uh, Jules, what exactly is your Kickstarter and its plan? Um, as you said, it's for Colt County, uh, for home consoles and home computers. Um, and the main reason for that is, you know, we're we going to be using uh, the Unity engine. Um, which obviously allows us to support multiple platforms apart from 3DS, unfortunately, which I'm sure we'll get to. Um, and, uh, yeah, the plan is it's a survival horror first person shooter. Um, it's kind of our way of returning to the genre that kind of birthed Renegade Kid back in, well, two, seven years ago in 2007. Wow. Well, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> with, uh, Dementium the Ward. Um, so yeah, so it's our way back of getting back Gamecock to that. Back in the Gamecock days. It's that, yeah, exactly. Um, we're unable to do Dementium 3 because of contractual ickiness. Um, so we're like, all right, fine, we'll just do a new one then. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it did start off as a 3DS game. Uh, well, you saw it, Last Packs uh, yeah, on the 3DS. Yeah. And since then, um, we didn't do any more progression on the actual game itself on the 3DS as far as game assets, but we continued with the story, the characters, uh, game design kind of ideas. And then that kind of led us down the path of considering console and, and unity and also in combination and what contributed to that thought as well is because we just finished up episode one of Moon Chronicles. Yay! Uh, <laughs> for, the, for, the, for the 3DS. Is there a release date? Did... No, not yet. No, we submitted it to Nintendo. It came back with a couple of buggeroonies. Um, so we're, we're getting those fixed up. I think actually they're already fixed up, but today was so crazy with the launch of Kickstarter we didn't have much chance to... <laughs> Look at that, but the programmer said, yeah, I think we're good. And I'm like, well, I'll get to that tomorrow, unfortunately, because today's <laughs> kind of nuts. Um, but I think we're good to go to resubmit it to them. And the nice, the good news on that is the bugs that Nintendo found were really minor. Yeah, no, that's that's good. I've, I've seen a couple a couple Wii U developers be set back way, way farther oh, back yeah. because of uh, just finding bugs that then kind of cripple everything. Yeah, no, it can be very challenging. No, I mean, our guys are amazing. I'm, I'm not the programmer, so I can't take any credit for it. The programmers we have are really just... <laughs> They're really smart, and they're very uh, the way that when they implement stuff, they don't just put it in and go, "Well, oh, I'll fix all the bugs." The rough edges later, they're very cautious and they, they're very anal where they clean up behind them as they go. So when we get to this point, I, I mean, um, testing we had like seventy or eighty bugs, and that's even including silly minor things, you know, not nothing like major silly. Yeah. Like, oh, I need to move this over there or whatever. Um, so we had a pretty minimal uh, list of bugs, really, and uh, internally. Uh, before Nintendo got it, but it, it did really well. Anyway, off track there for a little bit. Yeah. But that was uh, a, a contributing factor to why we thought, hey, let's go 
um, let's go big, you know, with, with Colt County, with uh, consoles and computers um, and use Unity, which is uh, just really exciting. It's a different, new, exciting kind of thing for us to jump into. Yeah, because so this, is. Is, this is the first time you're using the Unity engine, right? I mean, we have used it, um, but we haven't released a game. Yet. Oh, okay. Um, so you've been you know, kind of experimenting under, with it. Yeah, exactly. We've, we've been doing some ninja development in the background. <laughs> um, and it is fantastic. I love it. It's a really nice program, uh, getting in there and being able to edit the parameters and move things around and lighting and applying things. Uh, it's really, really nice. Really, really nice. And you can also always test on the PC, of course, a really quick iterative cycle so you can make a small change, press a button, boom, play it. Oh, yeah, cool. And it's really, really nice. Um, and obviously, like I said before, it, it um, supports multiple platforms. So the, so the platforms, obviously, I know we're focusing mainly on Wii U today because it's Nintendo Indeed. World Report. Indeed. Um, but there are other platforms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, um, which, I mean, it's it's kind of exciting that you guys are releasing on pretty much everything. Um Xbox One, PC, yeah. PS4, PS3, and Vita, right? Yes. And in addition yep. to Wii U. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Which is there have been exciting. some rumblings lately that Unity might come to 3DS. Yeah. No, Damon Baker, um, Barker, Damon Barker Baker. I, yeah, I think Baker, so. One of those two. Uh, super <laughs> nice guy. I actually met him um, at the last um, Nintendo press thing we did. Um, yeah, I saw him talking about it recently, and that would be fantastic. I mean, if it did uh, come to the 3DS, that would be really, really awesome. Honestly, I'm a little, you know, I, I, it's it could be interesting because uh, an engine like Unity has a lot of overhead uh, as far as um, the flexibility comes at a cost of it's not optimized for one device, Yeah. Uh, which is the beautiful thing about it if you have powerful machines that you're developing for. But if you have a 3DS, which isn't as powerful as the other machines, that overhead may ch- eat up a very valuable chunk of its processing power, and therefore it may not be able to maximize the system. I mean, I'm not saying it won't, um, but it, that's that big challenge that Unity and Nintendo is going to have to face, and how to maximize the 3DS through Unity. That's going to be very, very challenging. So yeah. I really hope they pull it off. It's going to be fantastic. Um, but we know firsthand, <laughs> making a, <laughs> an FPS engine for the 3DS, uh, we literally rewrote it to do Moon Chronicles. Uh, we had an engine that worked fine for, for face races and planet crashes and, and ATV, and uh, I guess that was it. Um, and that was a separate engine, actually, than our MUDS engine. Uh, then we created a new engine, um, which actually now is doing Treasure Nauts and Moon Chronicles. Um, it's one engine that's doing both, and it's very optimized to make make sure that, that Moon Chronicles could run at 60 frames a second with 3D on. Uh, which is not an easy thing to Damn. do. Uh, yeah, it's incredible. Um, <laughs> so, you know, so I, I, I would love to see Unity pull that off. Um, it's going to be a big challenge. But anyway, regardless, I'm really hoping they pull it off because it'd be awesome. It'd be so flexible and we'd see so many more games on the on the platform, which is always yeah. a good thing. Yeah, because, I mean, you're definitely getting to a point where you're seeing almost games coming to Vita willy-nilly, and I think a lot yeah. of that, it doesn't have to yeah. do with, like, oh, the Vita's flying off the shelves, but... From what yeah, I've why heard not? Is that it just, yeah. It's really easy to develop for Vita, so it's kind of like if you're yeah. releasing it on another platform, it's like, eh, it's not really that much of a much of a I mean, pressure. Yeah, I think I mean because I mean I think to put it in perspective, and it, it is a lot of work even to do another platform, but it isn't in ratio to what you just did. You know, you spend yeah. you know if you, from a project, and if it takes a hundred percent to do, um, you know. For example, you know PS3 and Vita, which obviously a lot of people are doing. Ninety uh, percent of it is is PS3, and then the the ten percent to finish off the, the Vita yeah. kind of thing, as far as the ratio. So, 
Um, it's not for free, but it's definitely worth it. You know, you get to spend that 10% and get a whole new platform. Out of curiosity, when you uh, when you brought MUDs over to PS3 and Vita, um, like which one was kind of like the lead, if, if there was um, one? Probably Vita, honestly. Um, oh, cool. Just, I mean, from a programming point of view, let me think now. I think, we yeah, we did Vita first because um, you didn't know what to expect. And honestly, we were just more excited about it. I mean, we love handhelds, and it's, I mean, the Vita has a re- just a yeah. freaking ridiculously beautiful I mean, I was, I was telling you at that Nintendo event, um, that the Nintendo Indie event where I got to play uh, Treasure Knots and Moon Chronicles, right. um, about how Mutant Mode's on the Vita is probably my favorite version of the game because the screen's so damn beautiful. Yeah, I know. It, it's alien technology, man. I mean, the colors <laughs> look more vivid than they ever could or should. It's yeah. absolutely amazing. I it's I, I adore the way it looks on on the Vita. I mean, if it had 3D, be like, oh my gosh, <laughs> it would be amazing. <laughs> but uh, it is. It's beautiful, and it's slightly wider uh, uh, view into the game as well. It's slightly more uh, that you can see on the screen, which is really nice. Yeah, I love it. It's a really nice version. Really enjoyed playing it on that. Um, actually, segue uh, that actually reminds me that we're finishing very close to finishing up the um, uh, the deluxe update for the 3DS. Oh, cool! So that'll add in um, all the all the ghost stages. Yeah, the twenty yeah the twenty ghost levels, um, all the hidden characters that are related to that, and um, the optional um, yeah. checkpoints that you may or may not want to turn on. Yeah. Um, some of the levels. <laughs> yes, some of them for sure. I went Actually, those ghost levels are like freaking tough. I, I mean, um, it's one of those things that like I'm like, oh, this is easy, but it's just because I've played through the game already. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that, that's exciting. So, yeah, that's actually, weirdly enough, um, just a side story, we actually had to port MUDs to our new engine <laughs> uh, entirely uh, for the ghost levels. So it wasn't like an easy, like, oh, press a button, compile it to 3DS now, yay, done. Um, literally, Matthew Gambrell, huge brained programmer person, um, ported MUDs to our new engine um, to make sure, because we had so much crap going on in the ghost levels, lots of alpha transparency and crazy stuff, it just didn't run uh, as fast as we wanted it to uh, on the old engine. And the old engine was no slouch. Uh, for the 2D stuff, for sure. Um, but uh, but now it's much more optimized. So yeah, weirdly enough, we have to port the game <laughs> to a new engine <laughs> to make it work for the 3DS. So we're putting a lot of effort into uh, into this free update. But um, but we feel um, you know it, it, the 3DS is Mud's home. You know, so we we never want to shortchange it. So it just it, it, I, I was going to use the word obligation, but that sounds like it's negative. It's not. We don't feel like it's a it's a, a drag or a chore. Uh, quite the opposite. Um, it's definitely something we, we respect and want to make sure we do it right. So that's why why we did it. A labor of love, perhaps. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. And it's nice, yeah. So to get back to Cole County, I was, I was reading the Kickstarter today, as, as many people were, and you described the game as sort of The Walking Dead meets something like Silent Hill, which has me mm-hmm. very excited because I love the, the sort of story-driven elements of Walking Dead, but I do sometimes miss having like complete control over the gameplay um, mm-hmm. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how Cole County, how you expect it to play, and, and what exactly is going on in the game. Yeah, so, I mean, just to kind of expand on, on that kind of, you know, marketing uh, sentence that, that we kind of created to try and explain the game in as few words as possible. The Walking Dead element is definitely obviously the episodic nature of the game, but also the uh, to try and help suggest our extra focus and emphasis on character interaction um, whereas Dementium and Dementium 2 
uh, and Moon, I guess, uh, to a lesser degree, but um, was more about you just walking around killing things. Um, mm-hmm. Moon isn't really that, but Dimension 1 and 2 kind of was. Um, we're definitely focusing more on, on characters and, and having stories, not just... And that's where the, also where the Silent Hill 2 kind of thing comes in as well, when you meet characters and kind of have some meaningful conversations with them, not only on an informational level, but also on a creepy, like, I don't know if I trust you kind of level or or I do trust you level. You know, characters actually add to the story. Um, so that's um, what we're trying to say with some of that. And also with the kind of a Walking Dead kind of um, reference, and actually I would also kind of throw in there things like Lost and, and Heroes and, and shows like that, which uh, Greg and I are big fans of, um, trying to take from what we love about those kind of shows and the game, um, Walking Dead game, is just the way the story arcs, you know, not only happen within a single episode, but also connect from episode one to two and, and two to three and, and even one to three and so on. There's, there's, there's multiple arcs going on that, that as a player going through it, I think that'll be quite satisfying to kind of see those play out and, and hopefully you'll have that, that sense of I need to get to the next episode to resolve this sub quest or main quest or whatever is going on or sub story, sorry, or main story. Um, so that's kind of what we mean by that. And with the Silent Hill 2 stuff, what I love about that specifically, and I, I always call out Silent Hill 2 specifically because I just think it did such a good job with that game, is it's not scared to have moments of nothingness once the game has set up a credible threat, you know, because then you have tension, because then you have a feeling of, I don't know if something's about to happen um, because something did happen before. Um, so I'm not sure, you know, if I feel safe to go down there or whatever. Um, and I think that's a, another important element that we're going to be focusing on. Um, so it's not going to be non-stop, you know, character stuff or non-stop action combat stuff. Um, it's if you're going to have some, some moments of, of walking through an area and that maybe there's nothing there or maybe there's something there. And that's, that's the point you don't know. Um, and we'll probably go to the point to try and, so when even when we play it, um, you know, people who are actually making the game, um, to try and make it so we can enjoy it, we'll, we'll probably actually create a somewhat of a random element to it. So maybe there's sometimes there will be something there, sometimes there won't. Um, maybe the numbers of what they are or even what they are may vary based on, on, on what's going on. Not that the whole game's going to be <laughs> randomly generated, but, but just in small controlled ways. So the player, you know, who's even familiar with the game, still feels a bit uneasy because they're not quite sure what might happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. There's a game uh, I, I played it on PS4 kind of recently called Outlast. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a PlayStation Plus game that does that kind of randomly generated first person. Mm, like there's okay. a lot of stillness in that game. And then you find something that's scary and it will scare the shit out of you. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. I need to check that out. Is it only PS4? Um, I think it's on PC as well. Okay. But yeah, I think it came out on PC like last year. Oh, yeah, cool. I need to check it out. Nice. And then Silent um, Hill Shattered Memories is another game, I mean, in that Silent Hill series. But, I mean, that was a game that very deliberately separated the combat from the kind of exploration. Mm-hmm. But the exploration had this palpable tension because, like, yeah. you know, things weren't right. Yeah. And you didn't know what was going on, so everything was just kind of on ease. Yeah. Um, and the story setup, I guess I skipped ahead of that, um, but the story <laughs> setup is... Um, the game is set in a, a small, dusty West Texas town, um, and when you, the reason you're going there is you, you try to contact your sister um, because your mum is 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 deathly ill. Um, you try to call her on the phone and she doesn't answer, so you drive across Texas for about six hours to get to this town, um, and it's a town that you're familiar with, the, the player character's familiar with, you know, as a kid he visited there with his 
aunt and his sister. Um, so you're kind of revisiting there. So there's a sense of familiarity for the, for the player character. Um, but this massive dust storm is kind of rolling in as you get there. Um, and really it's about your journey through that town and kind of what you unearth over over time. Uh, but when you first get there, you know, you, you, you can't find your sister. You talk to some of the locals, you find that information. You kind of gather a sense of what the town's about and what's going on. And you start to form um, some, uh, you know, small kind of relationships with some of the people that you meet. Um, and, and those, you know, relationships, you know, may slightly change over time or people may, you know, go off for a while and then come back. And um, so I think there's going to be quite a lot of fun kind of interplay there. Fun from a scary, bad kind of perspective. Yeah. Uh, not a comedy, not a romantic comedy perspective. Um, <laughs> so it should it's be... like, oh, he's in love with that guy yeah, with that gas right. mask. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so I, I think it's fun. There's a lot of different levels of thinking of. You know, I, I do tend to talk a lot about the story and that kind of stuff, I guess, because that's kind of more new, I suppose, when compared to, like, you know, Dementium and stuff. But, it, you know, the enemies were definitely going to be a huge part of, 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 producing the fear as well which is something I, we had a lot of fun with specifically with dementium one not so much with dementium two I, I think that failed in, in some regards as far as the scare factor but i think dementium one actually was yeah more dementium one regard. was i mean even even i mean and the ds with the, the smaller screen and stuff like that like that was still a game that i would play and be kind of like oh shit what's gonna happen next yeah mm-hmm. yeah no definitely and seeing some of those monsters almost being abstracted from mm-hmm. you know the fact that it, it you know, it wasn't, you know, a snazzy HD console. Like, I feel like that almost worked it more. It had a little bit mm-hmm. of grime. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely go for the grit as well on this. I mean, I like, I like in the 3DS demo we had last year, we had that grit layer over the screen. And yeah. That, that just adds a lot. You know, we'll definitely continue with that kind of dirty kind of um, kind of feeling. So, uh, but yeah, that's some of the basic kind of information uh, about the game. You know, from a weapon point of view, you know, the player's not going to be some Rambo character. You know, you're definitely going to be underpowered um and have to find your weapons and ammo sparingly you know throughout the throughout the journey um and i guess that's another key element to you feeling uh, vulnerable um and it not being just an action game of just mowing down you know uh countless zombies and there's nothing wrong with that but that's just not what yeah. this type of game is you know we want to try and scare people um and, and make them feel uneasy and fearful for you know uh, their situation so uh yeah so um, it's exciting it's a lot of fun to get back to thinking about this type of stuff you know related to the the combat you have a mock-up screenshot of um kind of the player holding a wrench and oh yeah, he, yeah. I think you, you said melee combat's gonna definitely be part of the combat um right. just looking at it, it kind of reminded me of zombie U, and i guess i was wondering did you mm. play zombie U, and was there any influence there as far as the melee combat and that kind I of tension I haven't played it much. I do. I will. I definitely will be playing that as reference for sure. Um, but uh, no, it has absolutely no influence on it. Actually, okay. I, <laughs> I, I played it at PAX Prime when it first came out a year or two ago. I guess it was now, like two yeah, years ago, maybe. Maybe it was the PAX um, before Wii U came out. Yeah, um, yeah, probably. Yeah, two thousand. Um, and uh, I played it very briefly, and it was a really nice game. I like it a lot. Um, and that was it. That's the only time I played it. Was the show like for like five minutes, whatever they let me play before they kicked me off. So no, so I haven't deeply kind of researched it, but I did like it. I like the polish of the game. They did a very good job. So I definitely will be looking at that um, uh, for reference. That's something I always do with all our games, is just look at all of the competition to kind of see what they did well and well, what didn't when, work well. when you play Zombie U, you should come back and talk to us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Because uh, um, Scott, Scott carries a torch for that game. I, I love okay. Zombie U, yeah. Um, I think it's I mean, fantastic. 
<laughs> awesome. No, I'd love to. Yeah, we can definitely talk about it. Um, I mean, for now, I think really our thought on the, on the melee stuff is um, one of the big focuses is to try and um, generate that sense of, of of closeness with the enemies. You know, that, that kind of... Uh, um, that that uneasy kind of like I don't want to get close to them but I have to yeah, mm-hmm. I have no choice but to get in their face to kill them basically which is nice I like that you can't just stand from afar and just blast them away right. so that's one of the big big reasons why we're going for melee because to kind of force the player to kind of face that which I think will be fun sure but uh but yeah no I'll definitely look at uh, Zombie U and see what the see what's going on there for sure yeah I think it does a good job of like mixing melee combat with survival horror so I, I think you'll enjoy that yeah if, if, trying to bring that here to Cole County, I think you'll. Yeah. I think you'll enjoy that. I remember having a baseball bat, and that felt really good. Oh, no, sorry, a yeah, cricket cricket bat. Sorry, the cricket, cricket bat. bat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean that's pretty it's much awesome. your main weapon throughout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that felt really good. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about sort of the the tiers for the Kickstarter and kind of what your you get your goals and things like that? Um, and then I think we've got some listener questions we can read. Uh, you know, ask you to. Yeah, so our minimum goal is five hundred eighty thousand dollars, which is an absolute uh, a lot of money. Um, which for you and I as individuals would be like yay rich go and buy some cars Um, but uh, for a a team uh, it's actually still pretty pretty slim but we're we're pretty lean and we're pretty uh, used to uh, uh, making not much money go a long way so for us it it will allow our team to to do a lot which is exciting Um, so that's the minimum goal and for that minimum goal we have all of the was it one two three four five six platforms that that will be covered underneath that goal. Um, yeah, so the pledge tier is with the minimum one, which is five. Well, I guess the minimum technically is one, but whatever. But the first reward is under the $5 one. And for that, um, you get a desktop uh, wallpaper image and your name in the credits as a backer. Um, so that's the minimum one. And then it goes up to 15 for the early adopters. Um, and that's the first tier where you actually get the game, basically. You'll get uh, it's, it's really a season pass. You'll get all five episodes of the first season uh, for that price, and the next one after that is twenty, which is the same um, same reward, but it's for those that didn't jump in and get the uh, the early adopter um, reward. Next one is thirty. You get the digital soundtrack um, uh, download um, of the game, as well as a couple of bonus tracks. That so will who's, only do, who's come doing with the that. music for this? I think it's on the Kickstarter page, <clears> but. Uh, Mr. Troop Gamage, uh, oh, who did that the music. Is a wonderful news. Yes, from New Muds, which, you know, some might be like, what? Is it going to be chip music? And no, no, it's not. Um, <laughs> has he done but, any of, has he done like, you know, I guess music that would be more in line with this that well, you've used before? Well, the music that you hear in the video is his music. All right. Um, and the music uh, on the Kickstarter page, if you scroll down to what what about the game and it talks about the game there's a you can actually press play and there's a yeah, there's a piece I'd of like music that. you can that, listen that is to. a nice touch mm-hmm. yeah you know what yeah i it worked on me i kind of put it in there and i was like right i'll press play i'll read it like i'm reading it and i'm like <laughs> oh yeah this is really drawing me in i like this <laughs> it's like oh that's really cool so yeah it works actually really surprisingly well i was like all right nice anyway so yeah the music has been done by troop and he's just a very talented person i'm, I'm hoping people don't well obviously they have no choice but to pigeonhole him as a chip tune artist but he's obviously way more talented than that you know it's not more talented than that his talent goes beyond that i should say um you know he's in a band you know he's a singer he's a guitar player um and obviously the cult country music you can hear is very um different <laughs> uh than the mutant mods so uh yeah so there's uh, the first dollar 
uh, pledged here for that. Next one is 40, you get a digital art book, which is 100 odd pages of um, really lots of stuff. It's not just an art book, but I kind of named it that to kind of make it uh, simple to understand. So it will obviously will have sketches and concept art and photos and character bios and so on, but it will also include um, you know, behind the scenes stuff and uh, design notes and stuff like that. So it's more of a kind of just a, you know, a catalog of, of just the game development, really. Um, and all of these all include all of the previous rewards as well. So if you get, you know, if you pay 40 for the digital art book, you also get the soundtrack and, you know, obviously the game and the desktop and so on. Um, go ahead. Um, well, I was just going to say as far as with the rewards with the games, because it's, it's going to be episodic, and I assume that the first deliverable date is just going to be the first episode. Um, that is to be determined. Uh, um, right. It really, depending on, on what um, goal is, is reached with this, will can affect that. Um, so it's, it's, I don't want to necessarily say one way or the other because it may change based on on what funding it, it gets or doesn't yeah. get um so um it's possible that episode one could actually come before that date all right um so yeah now, i mean i mean because that date is it's may 2015 if, right if i recall correctly and yes that, i mean that's somewhat far away oh, more a than year. a year yes um, yeah exactly and uh I mean, just seeing a lot of Kickstarter games, like, I mean, as as much as I, I completely understand how, like, Shovel Knight got delayed, for instance, but that was a game that was supposed to be out last September, I think, and it's still, mm -hmm. I think it, it'll be out this month, but that's yeah. a significant delay. Is that kind of, having it be farther out like that, is that your way to kind of compensate for how a lot of Kickstarter well, projects seem to slip? Well, really, it was, it was under the thinking of, you know, it's... It, it, it's a good, healthy kind of time to have. And, and whether that's one episode or multiple episodes that happen between that date, we're hoping that something will definitely be delivered by that date. Yeah. It may be more than maybe some people are even expecting. So hoping just to kind of not create disappointment through that, you know. Um, yeah, if we said December this year, which, you know, or, or, or January next year or whatever, you know, for episode one, and say we, you know, can't quite meet that, and then it's like, ugh, you know. Yeah. Um, so we can get, the nice thing is, it's, it's a safety net for us to be like, yes, it could just, just be episode one, uh, you know, May next year, or we could potentially, you know, release episode one, uh, you know, this Christmas, for example. You know, maybe yeah. episode two is, is in May of, of next year or, or whatever. So, um, so, so yes, in, in, it would be a short way of answering your question, yes. <laughs> it, is, it is in reaction to that. Um, so, the, so the next tier is the $60 tier, which is early access. Uh, and this is kind of where it starts to get into something that I'm, I'm pretty excited about with the Kickstarter, you know, just the whole Kickstarter thing, period. It's just the a way for players to, or backers, to get involved um, in, in the process of actually making the game which is really cool. So this is really the first tier that really kind of gets into that. So it's early access. You can download the beta version of the game um, to, you know, through Steam, basically, through Windows PC, um, to to get your hands onto the game. And uh, those that are willing and interested can then start providing uh, feedback, you know, on, on what they're seeing, what they like, what they don't like, and, and what breaks and what doesn't break and so on. Um, so, so that's cool. So that's like the first entry level of that. The next one is uh, $80.00. Um, which is um, getting you know into more of the physical uh, rewards. The first you know so it's the first physical reward, which is the um, the physical soundtrack CD, um, 
which is really essentially a physical version of the you know the digital soundtrack. But you know, if we for, hope, we're hoping to have you know at least you know a unique track or two for for that tier as well. Um, next one is 100, uh, which is the contributor, uh, where you get the alpha version of the game, uh, access to that, be one of the elite, if you will. Um, <laughs> and it's a bit more more detailed, where then you'll get access also to um, uh, more voting as far as, um, you know, giving your opinion on, on character designs and weapons and boss designs and, and even audio stuff. Um, so those people will definitely have more access to kind of giving their opinion on, on elements of the game. Um, next one is 125, uh, uh, funnily called cosplay, cosplay, I hope you pronounce that, um, where you get uh, to basically, um, you get a hat. So you can be Gavin Malik from Cole County, you can wear a baseball hat and look just like him. Uh, it'll have a unique uh, company logo uh, emblazoned on the front. Uh, so you can go to PAX as Gavin Malik, and everyone will recognize you and pat you on the back. Um, <laughs> or it'll just be you running around being like, hey, way to be, guy. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> there's already there's already six backers for it, so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it's fun, you know. It's it's cool because it will be a unique. Yeah. It's not literally just a baseball hat. I mean, it is, but they'll have a unique, you know, logo on it, just like the character in the game. So it, it's fun. Actually, I'm, I'm pretty fond of, of that. It's it's funny and it's silly, but I, I kind of yeah. dig it. It's fun. Um uh, next one is 250. Uh, we get a signed, signed game poster, uh, you know, a 24 by 36 uh, big old poster signed by the team, um, which would be lovely. Uh, next one is 500, um, the hardcover book version of the digital one from before, also signed. Um, and the next one is $1,000, which we do have one of, amazingly. Uh, someone has backed that. <laughs> um, <laughs> An enemy designer, which we're really getting into some 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 dirty hand designery action here, which is really exciting. Um, where it's limited to just five, um, and each of those backers will have their own enemy that they'll be working with us to design, not only from a visual perspective but also from a gameplay perspective. So we will work with them to then determine a specific enemy. So pretty exciting, honestly. I mean, if I you know, was younger and I wasn't in the industry and I actually had some money somehow. Um, I don't know. It's a really nice way to kind of get in there and, and, and you know, actually do something for a game and get a credit in, in the yeah. game, an enemy designer credit. It's, it's, it's cool. I think if, if Kickstarter was around like 10 years ago, it would be very, very dangerous for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like college loan money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the next one is uh, 2,500, uh, which is pretty neat uh, for those you know that actually want to be in the game. So you can put your face uh, and your voice in the game and get a credit as a special appearance. Um, and uh, it could be anywhere from an, from an enemy uh, to a NPC character to a, a corpse or whatever, whatever a variety of different opportunities for your for your mug to appear in the game. Uh, and you'll see, on the page you'll see an example that Greg did of himself, which is quite humorous, him as the sheriff. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, is, is pretty cool. So, <laughs> so that's pretty good. Um, and you get a credit for special appearance. So an, I guess almost like an acting role in a way. Um, there's 10 of those. Uh, the next one is 5,000. Um, for you, plus one, uh, get a special VIP access to the wrap party, um, which we'll be having when the game is, is finished, um, and a producer credit in the game and you'll get to come to Austin, Texas and enjoy hors d'oeuvres and drinks and actually play the game. So that'll be exciting. 
Um, the next one is a silly fun one, which is uh, for $6,666. <laughs> I like this uh, one. <laughs> the dollar sign of the beast. <laughs> yes, exactly, uh, which is the Demented Collection. It, you know what's weird is I literally only have six of these, but that's what's really weird. I mean, we limited it to six, which was <laughs> poetically fun, but I'm like, oh, my God, I actually only have six. That's really weird and kind of creepy. So I have Dimension 1 and 2, uh, North America and Japanese of both. Um, for each person who chooses to back this, um, uh, and also comes with we have the uh, the uh, DS uh, decals that you can actually personalize your DS with that were printed originally, I guess seven years ago. They're like uh, anti, <laughs> um, as well as Bright Dawn Treatment Center brochures and and, and uh, postcards. And then also um, at the end of the development of Dimension One. I actually created a, a Shutterfly photo book, which is kind of like, you know, behind the scenes making of. It's like a 22-page color photo book. It's actually really it's hardback. It's really neat, actually. That's it's awesome. Like a 10 by 10 kind of size. And it's really neat. I, I made it because it's the only way you could make those kind of things then. It cost like yeah. 70 bucks to print it at the time. It was like ridiculous. <laughs> but I was like, oh, whatever. It'll be awesome. Um, so anyway, so the cool thing is I still have that. And when I, when I log into Shutterfly, it's still there. I can still reorder it. And I'm like, oh, that'd be awesome. Anyway, so that, so we're going to throw that in there as well. So um, it's kind of a nice little unique thing. Um, anyway, so that's, that's that. Uh, and then the final one is $10,000, which is executive dinner, uh, where you get to come to Austin, Texas. We will cover the flight from within the U.S. and lodging for one night. Um and we will go out and eat and drink, and you'll get an executive producer credit in the game, and of course, come to the party. Is that even included in there? Well, it's assumed, I guess, because it includes yeah. previous um, previous rewards. Mm-hmm. Um, and there you go. So, so that's all the pledges. And it, you know, it's interesting creating uh, those those pledge tiers was a really difficult, strange thing to do. It's uh, it's hard to kind of come up with all those things and make them fun and. Yeah. price them and all the rest of it but anyway so that's that's what they are so obviously awesome. everyone should go for the ones that are in thousands because they're the best <laughs> that would be great that would be great yeah so if we have any uh entrepreneur uh yeah uh-huh. listeners yeah. out there with sitting on um, millions meat bass the guy yeah. who gave us like a several thousand dollars when we did our telethon last year yeah him, um, if he's exactly. out there that come person. on man yeah, brother out. I mean, just just drop a couple of ten thousands for you and a friend. Join us for dinner. It'd be great. Everyone be great. wins. All right. Well, let's get to some of the, the questions that we uh, we put a call out on Twitter a little yeah. bit before. Um, one of them is, uh, what control options will Colt County have? And this is probably directed towards Wii U, right? Yeah. Specifically. Um, Although, if you well, have information about the other ones, I would be curious. I mean, it's def. I mean. As far as if there's any, you know, uh, twin analog, twin stick, whatever you want, whatever you call it, twin thumb pad, circle pad um, device will definitely be supported. You know, obviously the, the game pad has the two analog sticks, so we'll definitely have a setup like that without a doubt. And that'll be, you know, for all of the platforms um, have that. Um, so that'll be one of them for sure. Uh, obviously for the Wii U, um, we'll absolutely support the Wiimotes, of course, um, as an option. Um, I, it won't be the default. I think the gamepad twin sticks would be the default control because it's right there, you know, and you've got it. Yeah. And every, everyone has a gamepad guaranteed. 
and it's you know it's it's intuitive it's easy it's simple it's very casual you definitely can get in there and play the game but if you prefer Wemo, which is understandable um then you're going to switch to that no problem um but we like to support as many as we can i think choice is important so we'll do the pro controller we'll do the whole shebang you know everything that makes sense um but um yeah so um yeah so i think we'll have a lot of options for the wii u um and all of the devices really because I think for us, control is very important. And we realize, especially from coming from, you know, the DS and 3DS, having made first-person shooters on that, we realize that, you know, um, control is very important. I mean, people, some people just simply cannot play Dementium on the DS because of the control setup, and it's totally understandable. It's not very comfortable for some people. Um, well, so um, and, and, well, then that kind of goes, that someone else also asked about uh, CirclePad Pro for Moon Chronicles, which I actually got to try. Indeed. Um, you know for and, a fact that it yeah, does that. No, yes. that. That works very well. As a lefty, I'm looking forward to trying to find a way to buy a CirclePad Pro for my XL, <laughs> because Nintendo Store does not have them anymore. No, they run out, yeah. But I, but I have seen, uh, for anyone that's also looking for a CirclePad Pro XL, you can go on Amazon and import mm. one from Japan for cheaper than the cost of getting one from Nintendo directly. <laughs> oh, well, that's amazing. That's awesome and strange. Uh, hopefully everyone, hopefully Nintendo have sold out because of people are buying it in preparation for Moon Chronicles. That's my hope. <laughs> there you go. That's my hope. But, uh, you know, Moon Chronicles has a lot of control uh, setups, a lot more than we had on the DS. And then the DS games, I think, we literally had stylus uh left and right-handed and that's it um yeah. where with this you know obviously we have that as well um we'll obviously have the circle pad pro support left and right-handed and actually a combination of the two because some because once you have the circle pad pro it then changes the rules where you know when you're playing it without the circle pad pro for example you know you have to shoot with the left trigger if you're right-handed you have to shoot with the left trigger yeah because you're you're moving with the left circle pad and you're aiming with the right uh, stylus um but as soon as you add the circle pad pro now like oh cool i can move with my left i can look with my right if you're right-handed um maybe now i want to shoot with my right instead of my left you know my right uh shoulder button some people may want to do that and i'm like all right cool so, no, so we have that as well so we actually have some we have a lot of options in there and then on top of that which is another option which is surprisingly good actually um is uh without the circle pad pro use the left uh circle pad to to move and use the face buttons to to aim to look around um and then use the l to shoot or the and the r to as an action button actually or reverse those two if you are so inclined um that actually works really well i i didn't think it would i'm like whatever let's just put it in there anyway just so it's there um i actually like when i'm just feeling kind of lazy, I'll use that. <laughs> I'll be like, I'll, I'll buzz around using that if I can't be bothered. You know, because, you know, using the stylus does have some fatigue after a while. Yeah. It, just, it just hurts, you know? Uh, I mean, well, well Kidicus Uprising is one of my yeah. favorite games on the 3DS. It's 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 exhausting to play It sometimes. is. It's exhausting, exactly. So I find, you know, because we're playing the game all the time while we're making it, so it's like, oh, my gosh. So, yes, I'll switch to the, uh, to the non-circle pad dual stick kind of whatever setup. It's pretty good. So because I was using that a lot, we actually finesse that quite a bit to make it feel good and i think it feels really good i like it a lot and i like to reverse the invert the y-axis and it, it feels great i really really like it so um yeah i'm really really excited about the control um options on on moon chronicles um but anyway yes and that will carry through to all of our games especially first person shooters because the control is so personal and so delicate for anyone who plays the, that genre um, they definitely have a way of playing it and if that doesn't support it then they can't play the game and i totally understand that you know, if it doesn't support yeah. the way they want to play it, then yeah, I'm not going to play it. And I get it. 
I totally get it, you know, because you just you feel like your your hand is tied behind your back if you don't have your control set up available. So, yeah. So and go. then we also had someone ask about a uh, gamepad support on the the Wii U for Colt County. So, like, uh, I guess how would you use the gamepad in any kind of unique ways? I mean, I know you're doing it for Unity, so that means there's parity mm-hmm. across everything. Right. But I assume you'll use the gamepad for something, right? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, we haven't specifically got to designing aspects of it yet. Um, but I, I expect things such as, um, you know, obviously displaying a map, which is the standard boring answer, I know. But, but uh, you know, and and some inventory stuff, you know, potentially as well. But some, some standard things that the only reason that we would use the gamepad is if it makes the player's life better or easier. You know, we wouldn't do it for the sake yeah. of it because that way too many games do that not nothing against uncharted on the vita but the touch controls of that are ridiculous yeah they're completely ridiculous they they don't make the game better it's ridiculous it's just there to show off you know um and actually makes the game worse it's like no it feels better without the touch controls you're like i don't want to make this stone etching again for the love of god (laughs) yeah let me go yeah, well, just the jumping and the grabbing, and you, it's just it's just silly. Um, so you know, so we'll design the game uh, uh, initially as a you know as a twin stick, L R button kind of setup to make that work as best it can. And then when we bring that, you know, then we, then when we focus then on the Wii U and go, okay, this is our core control. What do we want to do to make it different or better for this player with this device in front of them? And if something naturally jumps out, then we'll jump on it. But but if it works as is, then we might not uh, do anything with uh, with a touchscreen. So that, that's the way we'll approach it anyway, which I know is kind of a lame answer, but hopefully gives people in confidence as we'll use it if we think there's a really good way to enhance the game, but we're not going to use it for the sake of it. Cool. And then will you have a off-TV play, or at least is that like a, a hopeful plan at this point? I have no idea. <laughs> um, because the game is streamed from the... From the, it has to be streamed to the to the gamepad, obviously, which was fine with muds because, you know, the we not way, as twitchy. Yeah, it's way powerful, you know, and to, the CPU processing to to uh, send that over to the gamepad was was not as much of a as a drain as it might be on some other games. This game obviously is going to be way more higher fidelity uh, than that, so I don't know. I, I I would like that would be awesome, right, to be able to play it on the gamepad. Oh, yeah. I would love to do that. Yeah, um, that'd be amazing. But uh, I don't know if we'll be able to pull that off technically, but. Uh, yeah, definitely a, um, a a wish list item for sure. I would love that. I love off TV play. I love it. Yeah, so I, I would, think, lo- I mean, I would love to a, do that. It's a revelation. Um, yeah, and I, it even makes uh, I like. I don't think it's as well implemented, but using the Vita to play PS4 games is also really neat. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. We have another question, and this is kind of I guess unrelated to uh, to the game specifically. But it's uh, one person saying that they'd love to know your thoughts on the current third-party situation. I assume he means on Wii U and maybe to a lesser extent 3DS. Um, do you, can you see why support for Wii U isn't really there? Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, um, you know, you know, I love Nintendo, and I say that all the time, and I mean it. I really do. I love, I love the company. I love the people who work there. I love the games they make and the hardware they make. I really, you know, I really appreciate everything they do, and they're amazing at what they do but they really messed up with the launch of the wii u 
on multiple levels. And we don't have to go into that, but but I, I think that was instrumental in when you look at people, you know, publishers like Activision or not necessarily them. Cause I don't know if they've pulled out or what they're supporting. I, th- comp- I think that Activision's one of the few companies that seems like they might still support it. I think as as far as I know with them, I think Skylanders are still doing mm, all right on Wii U. Yeah, good point. Um, and Rayman. And I, and no, I that was Ubisoft. Sorry. But with Ubisoft, I think Rayman did did it okay. Um, yeah. I think that was the best platform for it, actually. But Assassin's Creed and Splinter Cell did terribly on Wii U right. to the point where, I mean, we saw it with Watch Dogs. That's not coming out at the same time mm. as everything else. And in all honesty, I kind of call in the question if we're going to see next year's Assassin's Creed out on Wii U, especially as the focus goes more to PS4 and Xbox One because the Wii U can't, can't hang with those dogs. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, no, it, it makes sense, unfortunately. I mean, it's just, it's a real shame. Nintendo, uh, didn't have a great launch with the Wii U for multiple reasons. Um, and then, you know, publishers are all about numbers, you know, and if, if the, if the hardware simply is not performing as well as they would like, then they're not, not going to put money there and not going to risk it, you know. It, it's really, unfortunately, as simple as that. And, but then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because you create this cycle of no software, no hardware, blah, 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 you know, sales and, um, then it, it squarely falls back on Nintendo's kind of lap to then pick up the slack. It is that chicken or the egg kind of argument because, like, what came first, the crappy sales or the shitty yeah. support? But, you know, it, unfortunately, and I'll reiterate, I do love Nintendo, but it is their fault, unfortunately. I mean, they didn't, they really did mess up with the launch of the yeah. Wii U. And I had, I mean, I you can go back in my, my Twitter history, I had absolute faith that they would pull it off. I, I was thinking they did a soft launch when they first launched it that year, whenever it was. Um, and because there was really very little marketing, very little public awareness, it was like, kind of, let's, yeah. just, let's just sneak this out there for the gamers. Um, and, and then they had, you know, zombie use, really hardcore stuff kind of available, I think at the time, if, if my memory serves me right. Yeah. Cause I mean, the, um, the launch, the, the game lineup wasn't that bad because you had, you yeah. had zombie U, you had Mario U, Nintendo land. I'll still stand by as a solid game. Like there were fun games. Well, we always talk. We always talk about that here. That yeah, that like we think it's probably the best launch of any of the three like newest consoles because there was a yeah. lot. There was a lot there. I right agree. From the start. No, the soft. The software was there. Yeah. The most important thing was that I think that Xbox One and PS4 have had better. Uh, I guess first quarter of the next year, mm. and and that's even on the basis of the fact that like you know they've Titanfall and Infamous. Because that almost right. immediately trumps Lego City, which was like the game that came out right. on Wii U for five months. Yeah. I think where they messed up was uh, lack of marketing, lack of public awareness. Um, you know, people just didn't know what it was. They had no, is this a peripheral to the Wii? Is this a new Wii U? Why do I want the Wii U? I mean, they just really dropped the ball, unfortunately. Um, so the public didn't buy it. And then published it, oh, it's not selling, so I guess I'm not going to make games for it. And yeah. the rest is history. So it's a real bummer. Yeah. Um, uh, and I guess, I mean, it does seem at this point that you're going to be kind of going uh, more, or I guess platform agnostic to an extent. Is that done at all because of the, the poor Wii U or 3DS sales? Or um, is it just because you have the capacity with stuff like Unity to be able to do release more games more places? Or even the funding of Kickstarter, if that helps. Yeah. Right. Honestly, if we could make, I'm talking about me personally, I can't speak for everyone in the company, but me personally, if I could make 3DS games forever, I would. <laughs> Simple as that. I would. I love it. I love the 3DS. I love making, uh, I love working with limited 
limitations, late working limitations. It's fun. Uh, it's challenging, and if you actually pull off anything half decent, it's like, yay, that's awesome. <laughs> um, you know, because it's hard, you know, and I, I like that. I like challenge. I like to do things that are difficult, and I love the 3D assets, especially the um, the XL. Man, I love yeah. the XL. It's mm-hmm. a beautiful machine. Um, so, you know, I, I would make games for that forever if I could. Um, but no, financially, you know, um, we did some stuff, and Mods did, you know, really well on, on the on the eShop. Um, but every other game we've released so far has not done even close as well <laughs> as far as sales as Muds did uh, for various reasons. You know, um, I'm hoping Treasure Notes maybe you know gets a little bit closer to what Muds did because of what I, it is. I hope that Muds, yeah, Treasure Notes looks awesome. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's really um, I can say at this point is from, yeah. from the moment for the word go with that game I'm like all right I'm listening yeah that's Tell a, it's more. a fun one. I'm excited to get back to that and get that finished up um, and then Moon Chronicles I'm really really pumped about actually it, it actually it 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 turned out really good you know and I know I'm so I'm completely biased I mean <laughs> biased, I guess but um but it actually it did exceed my expectations I was like you know what let's do a you know when you ever think about are oh, we doing a port of a DS game to 3DS it's like well how good is that really going to look you know. Um, unless you're really completely redoing it, but we knew we couldn't completely redo it because it had to run in 60 frames a second. Therefore, uh, we can't maximize all of the visual goodness that the 3DS can do and maintain that with 3D on. However, you know, I don't know, we just chipped away at it, and, you know, the guys are just really good at what they do. The programmers are very talented. The Greg, um, art director, is is very talented, you know, and... um, and I'm always pushing them to do maybe stuff that they don't want to do, but in the end it turns out pretty cool. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm a tyrant, but I definitely, I'm the gamer who, I'm the geeky gamer that's like, hey, look at this, how cool is that? Can we do that? Can we do that? You know, um, until they're like, all right, we've done it. Um, but it, no, it looks, I'm super proud. I mean, Moon Chronicles to me looks really good. Um, yeah, I'm really yeah. excited to, to finally play that because it was a game that, I, when I first heard about it, like I, you know, kind of enjoyed the Dementium game, or I guess yeah, it was only the first one at that point. And the idea of Moon seemed a lot more appealing to me. And then right. I just could never find it anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, so then I yeah, just kind yeah. of forgot about it. Now I'm like, all right, cool, it's coming out on eShop. I can just download it. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. I mean, it's gonna be a certain unique challenge uh, as far as the episodic release and, and pricing it and awareness and can we do season pass and do people even care about that and blah blah blah. So we have a few hurdles to jump over, and Nintendo's excited to to figure out those challenges with us, which is uh, a great honor as well to be, you know, chatting with them about that kind of stuff. So I said, we'll, we'll figure it out. You know, and there's going to be some, some creases to iron out with that. I'm sure. Cause it's so brand new in that regard, but um, hopefully it'll help, you know, make it a little bit easier for Cook County when that gets finished up. But um, yeah, I'm really excited about that. I think it's, it's going to be really cool. Um, and I can't believe that we'll be the first FPS on the, on the machine. It's ridiculous. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And I, now I know, um, what is it, Hugo Smith's the guy uh, from Goodbye Galaxy yeah. who did mm-hmm. Tepingo. He's working on a 3DS first-person shooter, which is yeah. great. Only It totally took three years for know, right? the first-person yeah. shooters on the 3DS. Um, yeah, I'm, you know, for, for completely self-serving, selfish reasons, I'm hoping I mean does really well. But beyond that, if it does prove that that is a valid genre for that market, then that's really exciting. I mean, I would love, yeah. there's a lot of stuff I'd love to do within that genre on the 3DS, and that and that that did play into our decision to bring Cook County away from the 3DS because we're already gambling there in our mind with Moon Chronicles. We have no idea how well that's going to do because we literally have no data to base it on. <laughs> um, so it's like it could be, you know, a complete failure. Could do medium okay. Could do awesome. No yeah. idea. Could do any of those three. Um, 
I think it will do at least do medium. I hope because I think it's a it's a great game, and I think I think the gamers are there who want it. But I have no idea. Um, and so for us, it's kind of like, well, do we want to do a, a second one of the exact same <laughs> type of thing on a market that we have no clue <laughs> if anyone wants it? You know. Um, so that I was. Hope they do. I, I hope nice. so. Yeah, I hope so. Um, but uh, anyway, so. Yeah, I guess uh, let, let's uh, let's wrap this up because I think we yeah. overshot what we estimated. This I know point. we were like, yeah, just a little twenty-minute segment. Yeah, like something <laughs> like that. Um, but I want to end this on kind of, uh, I mean, as you probably know at this point by the fact that I brought a box copy of South Park's Just Low Shack to Pax East last oh year. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm uh, minorly obsessed with your back catalog of what you worked on. So let's talk <laughs> about Iggy's Wrecking Balls. I love right. that yep, game. Yep. <laughs> really? That's amazing. Oh, that was I. I we, tweeted a little bit about it before like months ago but that was like a staple of like my rental history when i was like in middle school or something i rented that game all the time and really enjoyed it that's amazing that's probably so better cool. i bought it i yeah. guess i don't know how like that how what kind of money you make from rentals maybe i should have bought it and had my mom buy it as a birthday <laughs> present sometime but i think i think the way it worked then is like like best buy or sorry or uh, blockbuster. blockbuster would would like buy you know five ten thousand units and then and then say so, you know we would get that you know from it but yeah. Yeah, no no rental money but that was all a claim money anyway so I didn't get any of that oh so. that's true yeah it didn't affect me so so <laughs> screw them yeah exactly yeah screw the man um but uh you know that project is, is definitely got a special place in both me and Greg's uh heart because Greg was the lead artist on that game yeah who's the art director of Renegade Kid. And was and was that the, the first game that you were the lead on, too? Or? It was my first project manager position. Ah, right. So I'd been lead artist before that on Zero the Kamikaze Squirrel for the SNES, uh, which was in a weird offshoot of Arrow. Um, and so this was the first project yeah, where I was project manager. And what that position was, um, even though it doesn't sound it by that description, it was a lead designer and producer in one role, which is an absolutely terrible idea, but we were yeah. giving it a shot at the well, time. Well, I mean, as, as someone who routinely finds himself on Moby Games looking at uh, game credits, some of the mm-hmm. ones from, like, the 80s and 90s are just so it's nonsense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, no, none of them absurd. make any sense, yeah, and you're totally. like, what did this person actually do yeah, what, in this game? Did they do mean? everything or nothing? Yeah, exactly, right? Exactly. Um, so that was, you know, it's a funny process, because we had this weird little corner of the of the floor that we're on at Iguana Claim, whatever it was called at the time. Um, and uh, we actually had this weird fire door that we could close and we put this massive kind of top secret sign in the front and stuff. And it was fun. It was like a team of 12 people kind of tucked away. And I'm trying to think, originally we were doing Turok, well, Turok one and a half, which we were going to call Turok 2 while the Turok team were making the actual Turok 2. So whatever that would have been named. So we were making it, and it was really, oh, that was a fun project. It was so cool to take all the Turok assets, and we kind of set it in a nice kind of cool, uh, icy kind of uh, place. So we had these awesome colored kind of ice versions of the, uh, the Velociraptors. Oh, that's so cool. I mean, this like really awesome kind of. Uh, okay, ice, is, is, that, is that where the ideas for Fehendrana drifts from Metroid Prime came from? Because I know that Iguana people. <laughs> oh, I don't went know. Over to, went over I'm to Retro sure. Studios. I, I, probably not. I think that that would be <laughs> awesome. If so, I probably. I, I no, I doubt it. <laughs> but maybe, maybe I have no idea. But it, it was really, really neat. We were working on that for a while, but then that got canned. Um, I'm not sure exactly why, actually, in the end. But yeah, because yeah. didn't didn't the first Turok sell really, really well? Oh yeah, no, it's all really well. But no, the Turok Two team, Turok team, continued making Turok Two, but oh, okay. they just stopped making One Point Five. Um, and they said, uh, "But you can do an original game instead." We're like, "Oh, cool!" 
Um, so we kind of come up with, you know, a bunch of different concepts. You know, one was obviously Iggy's. Uh, one was like this kind of space shootery, almost like Star Fox type thing. Um, what was the other one? I don't know. There was a third one. I can't remember what it was. They're all really different from each other. Uh, the idea is, was we wanted to have a multiplayer fun component to it. I think was the main kind of MO. And, uh, and weirdly enough, the Iggy's one was, was my idea because I wanted to do a 2D platform game, but I knew we couldn't get away with doing 2D in the era because it was all about polygons at, the, at that time. So I was like, well, fine, I'll do 2D gameplay in a 3D world. How about that then? <laughs> and, and then we'll make it like a Mario Kart. We'll make it like a four player racing game because that makes sense, right? Sure, why not? Um, <laughs> it's like uni racers. Yeah. And so they went with that and that was really cool. And it started off with this really amazing prototype that we created really quickly um, and uh, to kind of prove the gameplay and yeah, and just, just kind of went for it. And uh, the amazing thing about that project is it fit on a four megabyte cartridge, which is a really, uh, that was really the slowest, the, sorry, the smallest cartridge you could even get at that time where most games were 16 meg and stuff like 08 meg. Um, so it was actually quite a technical marvel. The programmers did an amazing job there. But uh, yeah, so yeah, we just had that. We just, bashed out all the weird little characters it wasn't it was called uh wasn't even called iggy's wrecking balls at first i think it was like charlie's wrecking balls or something like <laughs> the i think there's a blue guy in i don't know if he still made it in the game but there's a blue guy with a little red nose i don't know if he made it in the game or not i can't remember now i think he did though maybe not <laughs> uh, he was the main character who's completely un main character like worthy he was just very generic um but then we we're like hey let's make it like a mascot game that'd be really cool and put iggy in there and, <laughs> the rest is history so <laughs> yeah um it was fun it was fun um one of the things that it was funny at the time we wanted to do we had these really cool ideas to do a fun ad campaign where we do print ads in magazines because that's where people would buy magazines at that time mm-hmm. um or people racking their balls you know like so if you're walking along a fence and you slipped and then slammed your balls into the fence like moments that moment of smack We'd have these shots of people racking their balls, basically. Like, <laughs> and we thought it'd be really funny, you know, kind of doing like a sepia tone or demol- you know, kind of nice, kind of black and white, but kind of color, t- color tone, you know. So the, kind of a funny, cheeky kind of campaign <laughs> of people hurting their balls and eager wrecking balls be kind of funny. Um, perfect, right? Genius. Um, and uh, um, but Acclaim wasn't having it because they just came off the backlash of the terribly sexist and meaningless ad campaign for Fis- Forsaken. Do you remember that? Oh, God. Where it just had a, a naked girl with tattoos yep. on, basically. Yep. Yeah. They just came off of that. And they're like, nope, we're only doing ads that literally <laughs> talk about the game, nothing else. We're like, oh, oh, so funny. Okay. That is like yeah. the very end of kind of that play loud generation. Yeah. Yep. Where like even Nintendo themselves were just having these like kind of gross out ads that didn't totally, really tell yeah. you anything about the game. Yeah. Shock factor. Yeah. Yeah, wow. it was like, yeah. So that, they didn't go for that, but we thought that was hilarious. I, I mean, that was hilarious. That was pretty much a claim throughout their entire life because remember, yeah. I think it was near the end where they had the uh, name your kid Turok. Oh my gosh, ridiculous! <laughs> yeah, absurd. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, yeah, yes. So <laughs> yeah, Iggy's. Well, that's really cool that you enjoyed it, man. I appreciate that. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. It had a race, a racing mode, it has the battle mode. That was really fun making that game. It's good stuff. Yeah, we've we've kind of talked about doing uh, kind of like a revisit where we would play it now and and do a segment about segment about yeah, it. Yeah, actually, about I it. actually did win it off of eBay like a month ago. Oh wow, nice one! Just because uh, I was curious and we we had brought this up, so I figured such I would. A, such a Because I, I I remember renting it, but yeah. I don't remember much else other than the fact that I played it. Yeah, really strange game. <laughs> Fun stuff though. Well, there yeah, you go. Hum- For, from the new to the old uh, on this segment of connectivity, it's good. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah thank, thanks a lot for for sticking with us for the entire hour, and I'll I will see you in about a week, sir. Yeah, man. See you in Boston. Exciting. Yeah, yeah that's a good point for anyone listening. If you'll be at PAX East, uh, Jules will be there. Neil will be there. Yeah. Um, so say hi to everybody. Yeah, we'll yeah, have... The Renegade Kid booth is basically the de facto Nintendo booth, Pretty I much. Think. Yeah, we'll have um, eight uh, 3DS units set up with our games for people to play. Um, so we'll have, you know, MUDs, uh, ATV, Bomb Monkey, and then, of course, um, Moon Chronicles and Treasure Knots. Uh, oh, nice. Check out. Yeah. And it's actually... Aren't, aren't you uh, using the, like, Nintendo tower things that they usually have at trade shows anyway? Actually, no, we've rigged up our own uh, room oh, tables. Cool. They're a little bit more lounge-like. So we have these oh. small, cool little uh, leathery kind of little cube things that you sit on. Um, probably not real leather, though. Um, and uh, these uh, more coffee table kind of height tables. Um, so um, there's four little stools around each table, and there's two tables uh, with uh, four 3DSs on each thing. So it'd be pretty chill. We've got to sit down and chill and play some 3DX action and yeah it'll be nice yeah no, I'll definitely be, be hanging out I'll be loitering around excellent, there excellent excellent it'll be fun being looking like, forward to it like, when, when's Treasure Notes coming out huh? yeah when's it, when's it going to come out <laughs> are you going to have anything for Colt County in your booth or um probably not I mean we'll have the banner of course showing yeah. off um and we'll probably have the um the uh, Kickstarter video playing on repeat that will probably drive us insane uh, on a TV. By the end of um, it, Greg will actually be like he is. Yes. Yeah, he will literally exactly. be crazy. Oh, my gosh. Uh, he might actually bring uh, the costume that he wore. Yes. He owns that. He bought that. He owns that. That was his. You can ask him about that. Um, I'm, uh, not, so, I'm not picturing where it's just like, oh, we got to do this video. He's like, well, I got this mask. Well, I got this mask. <laughs> Everyone slowly backs away, and it's like, just like, where'd you get you that? Do? Why do you have this? Yeah, it, it's such a creepy mask as well, because the way the rubber kind of, even the sound, we didn't quite get the sound in the video, which we had actually, but the sound is really disturbing. The rubber sound of him putting it on is like, whoa, it's really cool. It's really disturbing. He should he should bring the mask. Yeah, so I'm hoping he does the whole thing, comes out, maybe not with the axe, that might get him in trouble, but... No, it's his axe as well. You can ask him about all of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they technically were not props. Uh, they were he, of his ownership. So, um, <laughs> But no, it was a lot of fun making that video. And actually, I should send out props to uh, Mark Zamora from Develop TV. Um, he, uh, he, you know, he was, they're the, the film crew, the production crew uh, that helped us make that video. Did a ridiculously good job. Awesome. Um, and they found the location and everything. They did an amazing job. So and they'll be doing the. Oh, and that's another thing I forgot to mention. Duh. Um, there's a stretch goal uh, to do a documentary of the development of Cole County as oh, part nice. of the campaign. Be super cool. Yeah. So that's uh, something I've always been really intrigued by and wanted to, to be a part of because I think it's just it's just interesting. I like the, you know, the behind the scenes stuff. So um, anyway, yeah. So there you All go. Right. Yeah, stuff. and that's it. Um, cool. So, Colt County, uh, go get on Kickstarter and give Jules your money. Please. So that way he can make this crazy-ass game, and then we can all play it. There you yes. go. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, all we'll right. talk to you guys Thank later. You. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Hey everybody, Alex Kalafa here, and today I'm going to be talking about the upcoming Super Smash Bros. for Wii U and 3DS Nintendo Direct, coming next Tuesday, April 8th, at 6pm Eastern Time, and some equivalent all around the world. You can find that out yourself. Uh, presumably on our website, NintendoWorldReport.com. The original purpose of this mini-segment, which should only be around 2, 3, 5 minutes, was to talk about what I think of Mario Kart 8, which was honestly, if you've heard me on this podcast before, probably not going to be too positive. Uh, if I did record that segment, I might say how bland it looks, I might say how uninspired it looks, I might say how I do not want to buy this game at all, and will not. However, I'm going to be positive. I won't talk about how bland I think Mario Kart 8 is, because I want to talk about what I think is going to be on next Tuesday's uh, Super Smash Bros. Nintendo Direct. I have a few things laid out here, and uh, be sure to list off in the comments what you think is going to happen on this Nintendo Direct if you happen to listen to this show within two days of posting. I'm sure we're going to have something to say about this Direct uh, in the following episode. So, first off, I want to talk about the length, because that is one of the biggest concerns leading up to any Nintendo Direct. Uh, how long is this thing going to be? The Wonderful 101 was about 20 minutes, I think, and that does not sound too crazy. I do not think this is going to be uh, 40 minutes, 50 minutes, an hour. Simply put, because the game isn't that expansive. And that's not to say it's going to be a bad game. That's not to say it's not going to be a great game. Smash Bros. games... Uh, traditionally, short of maybe Super Smash Bros. Brawl, which was obviously much bigger, uh, they are not the hugest games in scope. You're going to get an adventure mode probably going to be slightly bigger than Melee in this time around. This time around, You're going to get uh, target shit. You're going to get uh, board the platforms, maybe. Uh, something with a sandbag, a bunch of trials. It's, it's going to be a Smash Bros. game. It's probably going to be in between scale between Melee and Brawl, and because of that, I don't think there's 50 minutes of stuff to show without spoiling a little too much. So I think somewhere between the 8-minute Pokemon Direct and the 20-minute uh, Wonderful 101 Direct, I think that sounds just about right, because that gives enough room for a little general discussion on the beginning and end that doesn't really tell us anything. Maybe a character reveal, maybe a few game modes, which I think is going to be the focus of this, and maybe a few other things in between. Next up, the name of this game. I think this might be the time when this, when the name of this game finally gets revealed. And that includes the possibility that the name of this game has already been revealed. Maybe it is already named Super Smash Bros. for Wii U and Super Smash Bros. for Nintendo 3DS. Uh, I think that if the name is not changed by now, and especially if the name is not changed by E3, these games are called Super Smash Bros. for Wii U and Super Smash Bros. for Nintendo 3DS. However, if they do make uh, a title announcement here or even at E3, I think... Super Smash Bros. Rumble, Super Smash Bros. Royale, those might be a couple of good titles. I do think there's a good chance that the 3DS and Wii U versions are going to get two different subtitles if this is... If if the title situation does indeed happen to be the case. Uh, maybe... 
I, I, I just don't know what they're going to do with these names. Because Super Smash Brothers for Wii U and Super Smash Brothers for 3DS is already uh, very distinctive titles. It says exactly what you want them to say, even if they aren't totally exciting. But maybe they will go for the exciting factor. Maybe they will have something to follow up Melee and Brawl. And I do think that there's a decent chance it's going to be called Royale. But don't quote me on that. I, I think Royale is probably... That one, out of all the kerfuffles, the rumbles of the world, Royale seems to just work the best in this situation. But maybe that's just me. The release date. I do not think they're going to pull an Amazon and put this out in April. With Sakurai's hand problems, with uh, the fact that they're trying to get this game out as fast as possible, and considering I think they're still figuring stuff out, I think November is still probably the case for at least the Wii U version. Maybe the 3DS version ends up getting pushed into next year some, but I do think it's probably going to be like October for Wii U and Nintendo for, th and uh, November for 3DS, or November for Wii U and February for 3DS, or uh, November for both. I don't think we're going to get this before, we're definitely not going to get this before E3 because they need an E3 to blow this game out, but I don't think we're going to get it too soon after either. I think Regardless of whether a release date is announced, and I don't think it will, unless they get a little ballsy like the Pokemon Direct and announce a release month, which I think is the case, this is still probably coming at fall at the earliest, assuming it doesn't pull a Smash Brothers and get delayed, which I don't think they have the option of doing at this point. Characters. I think this is the Nintendo Direct to announce Miis as playable characters, because I think uh, the type of character who would be revealed during this Direct probably a me, uh, maybe a Pac-Man, there's probably still going to be a Yoshi, a veteran or two in there, I think two characters, assuming this thing ends up being 20 minutes, sounds about right, if it ends up being 10 minutes, probably one really, really interesting character, but considering the fact that there have only already been 24 characters announced, and there's probably going to be close to 40, I don't think they're going to stuff 50 in by the time this game comes out, considering how fast they're trying to push it out the door. I uh, I don't think they're going to do a huge character blowout right now, and I don't think they're going to do it closer to launch. I really think, and especially hope, that uh, they keep at least 10 of the characters, you know, tucked in their hand away a little. Because there's got to be surprises. If you pull a Mario 3D World and you give away a lot of the surprises, a lot of people are going to justifiably get pissed off. Next up is the game modes. I think they are going to focus on game modes a little in this Direct. I think they are going to focus a little bit on the adventure mode. I think they're going to focus a little bit on the side modes. I think there would not be a Nintendo Direct for this game unless there was something about the game, like the online possibly, that needs its own focus. There has to be a special reason Sakurai is setting up this specific Direct. And I think the meat and potatoes at the uh, in this is going to be something surrounding game modes. Probably the adventure or probably the online because everyone knows the online is what we all care about in a Smash Brothers game, obviously. Uh, my final concern, and I kind of just told you what my final concern is i hope they don't give away too much i don't i hope they don't pull a super mario 3d world and spoil massive chunks of the game with no reason other than the hope that people are going to get excited 
even though I have a feeling a lot more people got pissed off. I want them to still have secrets under their cap that stay under their cap until this game is two weeks before coming out and someone spoils it anyways. I, I, even though this is probably going to be a little bit more of a back-to-basic Super Smash Bros. game, I want them to still treat it like a proper huge experience. I want it to be a proper huge experience, and I want them to hide stuff that I'm going to put the disc in my system day one, assuming no one spoils it for me, and I am going to go, hey, uh, I did not ex- I did not see that coming. I did not see that coming at the end of the adventure mode. I did not see that coming in the character select screen. Something like that. So that is what I want from this Direct, and... I've probably given a little bit on to what I actually want from this game in general. If you listen to the show, and it's before the Super Smash Bros. Direct again, feel free to list off in the comments. If you have any Super Smash Bros. related questions, be sure to send them to connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com. And worst case scenario, I am going to try to scrap something together to talk about what does get revealed in the Direct sometime next week. So you can probably look forward to that, and you can look forward to all of the great coverage on NintendoWorldReport.com. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. And welcome to this segment of Connectivity. I'm Scott Thompson. I am with Neil Ronahan. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Uh, who just started his new job today. So congratulations, Neil. Yeah. Um, all, all very proud of you. Yeah. Bringing home the bacon. And now i got to record some fucking podcasts. Yeah. Living that adult life. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's how my parents always described it to me. is like, just wait, like someday you'll graduate college and get a job and then come home from that job and just podcast all night. And I said, what are you talking yep. about? Just podcasting. And you're like, what's a podcast? And they're like, we don't know either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've been drinking. That's a whole other issue. Um, today we are going to be talking about Pokemon Battle Troze. Um, both Neil and I have been playing it over the past couple weeks, and both of us have written reviews for it. And we actually gave it the same score, 7 out of 10. Yeah, I, I did have a 7.5, and I wound up, I think, I don't know if I just had a change of heart, or it was a 7.5, and I think someone talked me down to a 7. Oh, really? <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, so, for those who don't know, uh, Pokemon Battle Troze, which I, I hate saying that whole name, uh, just came out on the eShop a couple weeks ago. Uh, you can purchase it for $8, and it is a ma- ostensibly a match-three puzzle game uh, featuring Pokemon. It has, like, literally nothing to do with the original uh Pokemon Troze on the DS. Um, like, nothing. <laughs> I don't know that they could be any further apart. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of a, a cute little puzzle game, and I think what makes it unique compared to other Pokemon puzzle games, you know, like Puzzle League and stuff like that, is that it, it feels to me um, the most like an actual Pokemon game. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's where it works. Yeah. It kind of, it kind of reminds me of Puzzle Quest, uh, for the DS and then like a million other platforms after that, 
where you're matching Pokemon faces, but what you're matching actually like kind of influences how you, the uh, the battles take place with the wild Pokemon you're uh, you're puzzling against. So you know if you match three Charmanders, you do a fire attack. If you match you know three Squirtles or whatever, you'll do a water attack and so on. And then you use that to do a you know super effective damage against the uh, the Pokemon you're fighting against, or not very effective damage if you do it incorrectly, um, which is the worst. Yeah, that's like the it's the biggest cock block ever. Where it's like you string together a huge combo and then you realize, oh fuck, like I yeah. did rock against whatever flying or something, and so it does nothing. Um, yeah, that kind of sucks. Um, but what kind of makes this game also unique is that. Whereas, like, other puzzle games, you're kind of thinking three moves ahead and you're trying to string together, you know, like, three or four combos and just, just eliminate some pieces. Um, Troze has this chance mode where basically once you match four pieces and then you match another three... Yeah, or it can even do, like, if you have a chain of three, you just need to, like, do a four and a three at any point. Yeah. Um, and that's basically what you do on every stage in the game. And that's yes. where I begin to have problems, kind of. Yeah. Because I don't think that it's like, like, I have fun with that, but I feel like it kind of very simplifies the idea of puzzle game into making it more of a Twitch-based game. Right, and, and you have to, you mean, you basically have to do it. Yeah. Like, and, I don't know if there's any way you can survive, like, past, like, the first few levels just doing simple, like, three matches. Yeah. And granted, you know, that's how a lot of other puzzle games work as well, but a lot of other puzzle games aren't as, aren't as twitchy as Pokemon yeah. Battle Trose is, because you have to do everything so goddamn fast. Because you have to start the right. Trose chance, and then you need to, you know, oh, you need to get to, and you don't have all this time, because if you let it go too long, then it's going to stop. And then and then it has a, a second a second, uh, second thing, oh shit, you need to get a four and a three, so you can start it over again and try to clear a second board. Keep going and going, And that's the game. And that, that bugged me a lot, because it would be like, if I would fuck that up once, then I'm basically done for. Um, mm-hmm. I had, uh, I think it was Sarek, I'll call him out, because um, he called me out. Uh, in my <laughs> review, I didn't mention uh, as much of the, the idea of the wall mechanic and the health mechanic. Yeah. Um, basically, you have health. Po- the other Pokemon that you're trying to capture, he's attacking you. Um, and then that Pokemon can also break down the walls and come into the playing field, which is really obnoxious and makes it harder to match stuff. Now, now the reason why I don't really think those are that big of a deal is because all that does is impede your ability to go do Charze Chance. And you can, with certain Pokemon, like Mr. Mime repairs the walls, Chansey repairs health. Um, all you're doing are using those Pokemon like you would be using like a super effective type. Like, it doesn't change the gameplay at all. It just gives you another thing to be mindful of, which I don't really think yeah. improves the experience. Well, I found, too, that like, I, when I first got Chansey, I tried to keep Chansey in my party, which that's something we should mention, too, for people who haven't played the game. Um, as you get further and further in the game, you get to bring Pokemon that you've captured uh, throughout the game with you. So you kind of, like, get to kind of stack the uh, the deck in your favor. So if you're heading to a, you know, a level that, you know, is dominated by grass Pokemon, well, you can bring along, like, three fire Pokemon. So you pretty much always have fire Pokemon yeah, in the map, and, which is and, cool. That's a cool mechanic. And they dole it out where you start off where you can't have any support Pokemon, and then you can bring one, and then two, and then three. Yeah, exactly. And so that that's a really cool mechanic. Um, but then you can also bring along, like Neil said, a Mr. Mime or a Chansey. Uh, Chansey heals you, heals you, Mr. Mime repairs the walls. But I found that, like, it never did enough to really impact the battle. So, like, I tried to bring Chansey with, um, like, for a good portion of the game, 
and I would heal, but it was never, like, substantial enough. It was never enough where I was like, okay, now I can win this battle. Um, if I was already weak, I, w- I was going to lose anyway yeah. once I got to, like, the final Pokemon uh, of a level. So it, to me, never really made a big difference. Um, so I, I agreed with you. Like, in my review, I didn't really mention much of that either because I didn't really find it. It doesn't make a difference, it, yeah. Right, I didn't find it really, like, a, a compelling part of the gameplay. Um, like, in theory, it's cool, but it just, it in practicality, I never used it. <laughs> it yeah. just did nothing for me. I mean, like, I, I like the idea of Pokemon Paddle Jersey a whole lot. I think it it is, you know, it's the rare thing where it's a, it's not a puzzle game with a Pokemon shell, like, it is a a Pokemon game that's made to be a puzzle game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that makes it interesting, but I don't think it's amazing. I don't think it's that great. It's got issues. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I did really like the multiplayer. I don't know, did you ever get a chance uh, no, to really play any of it? I, don't, I don't, didn't really have the opportunity to. Is it download play? No, unfortunately. Yeah. Every, yeah, you'd have to, like Lauren would have had to bought it too. And, well, you guys just have one 3DS, yeah. right? So oh, yeah, so that wouldn't no have worked no way anyway. for me to do this. Yeah, and it's local only, which is kind of unfortunate. Um, but it's a lot of fun. I expected it to be kind of a competitive uh, version of the game where you're playing against each other. But uh, in actuality, up to four people are, are playing together, trying to trying to beat Pokemon together. Um, I don't think it scales the difficulty at all. So I imagine if you've got four people going at once, um, it's probably a breeze to get through the game. Um, I don't think it scaled at all, but I don't know for, you know, 100%. But my wife and I had a, a pretty good time because she loves puzzle games. Like, she's always playing, you know, Candy Crush and a million other, basically, clones of that on her iPhone. Um, so we had a really good time spending a whole weekend, like, playing together and capturing Pokemon and doing all that. I mean, you basically play through the whole game's, uh, like, campaign mode. Yeah, that's kind of um, neat. Just cooperatively, which is cool, yeah. Yeah. So we, we had a fun time doing that, and it made it a little bit more enjoyable um, for me. Because, like you said, it does get a little monotonous. I mean, really, all the only thing to do are the, the Troze chances. Um, which, so, instead of feeling like a cool reward for getting, like, you know, good combos, it, it really is a necessity. I mean, you have to do it. Yep. There's no way you'll beat the game without doing it. Yeah. <clears throat> so, and then, especially hard to do, because uh, Pokemon Battle Troze, after you, like, match your first, you know, three or four Pokemon phases there's kind of this delay where you have a few seconds to then move more pieces and start to string combos yeah. together that way. It's so, a very active it, puzzle game. Yeah. It's not like a normal puzzle game where everything has to pretty much immediately fall into place. You've got this this kind of buffer period where after you make a match, you can make more matches. And it, it the whole game is really built around that and, and using the Troze chances and, and just stringing together the biggest combos you can. And, um, yeah, it, it's probably it's a little monotonous. I, I would agree with that. But it was it was definitely fun with two people. Um, I enjoyed that. So, did you mess around like with like the Safari Zone or anything like that? Like yeah, going back I every mean, day. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, yeah, you can get different Pokemon by coming back every day. Right, cool. the Safari Zone kind of refreshes and has different Pokemon types every day. Um, you do eventually unlock like an endless mode where you can just try to survive as long as you can. Things like that. Um. So yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really, <laughs> really know what else to say about it. We both gave it sevens. I think it's a yeah, it's a good puzzle game. Um, I like that it uses the the Pokemon license so well and really feels like a Pokemon game. But I probably still like something like Puzzle League better because I think it's a better puzzle game. You know what I mean? I mean, does that is that kind of where you fall? I yeah, I I totally agree with that. 
Yeah, so it's like I, I really enjoy the use of the license, but as far as like just strictly a puzzle game, I, I think I like Puzzle League more. But there, I think there's enough here, especially if you're a big Pokemon fan, because that was another issue for me, uh, is that you know you're matching these Pokemon faces, but you really don't know what they do until you match them, unless you're already familiar like with every generation of Pokemon, because it pulls Pokemon from from literally every generation. So you know I was good with the classics. You know you you give me a Machamp, I know what a Machamp is, but with like all these kind of other pretty much like third to what like fifth or sixth like generation like fucking gems they're at yeah, <laughs> yeah no kidding uh i had a hard time with that so there was a lot of like experimentation like okay this pokemon is fairy i don't know what the fuck's good against fairy so i'm gonna match all these pokemon faces here until i find something yeah, that works because usually the pokemon that they give you like one of them strong against what you primarily face so why not let's give it a shot yeah so you just kind of match everything there until you find what works um, and then just kind of use that. So, like, if you're a huge Pokemon fan, you've played every generation of game, you, you know these, just by seeing these Pokemon faces, you know exactly what type they are and what they're effective against. Um, I think you'll enjoy the game a little bit more yeah. uh, than, than I did, where I was just, like, kind of having to guess. And it's like, okay, I'll try this, like, weird brown guy with a spike on his head or something, you know, because I just don't, I'm not familiar with all of these no, Pokemon. Oh, you mean that guy. Yeah, everyone knows yeah. that guy. What are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> Poser. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're not a real Nintendo fan, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there yeah there was there was some of that uh, in the comments of my review. So I think we both got called out on this one a little bit. Um, but but yeah, by what I what I complained what I yep. complained about. Damn it. Yep. Same here. So I think that that's it for Pokemon Battle Troze. It's a it's a fun little eight dollar puzzle game on the eShop. If you are a Pokemon fan and a puzzle fan. I think it is. I think it is worth playing. Uh, it is not a bad game. Um, it just I feel like it, it could have been better with just a few little tweaks, but I, I did enjoy it. Um, and I guess uh, as a kind of little bonus to this, um, we're gonna have a bigger segment on everything that we saw at a recent New York event. But the because it was all crazy embargoed, and there's still still more stuff that's embargoed for next week. Um, but the embargo for Mario Kart 8 will be up uh, by the time this is live. Um, you'll be able to see my my impressions, some news, and uh, probably my least favorite thing about playing Mario Kart 8, which is how the gamepad's fucking dumb. Oh, really? Um, I had an editorial that the, the headline was toned down. The, the first draft was the implementation of the gamepad in Mario Kart 8 is dumb. <laughs> uh, because you know how it was like there was at E3 it was like the horn on the gamepad and you could honk yes. the horn well and then during the, the investors meeting didn't like Iwata specifically say like Mario Kart they were going to start with that to start kind of building the gamepad up and, and that's use, it. utilizing if it that's more it, they yeah. should just throw in the fucking goddamn towel now um, <laughs> because what the gamepad is at least as far as we know um, you know a month and a half out of the game launch um you can honk the horn. You can do the motion control still, which aren't fun. I think there's actually video of me starting to try to do the motion controls and then, and then stopping a little bit in after doing terrible. Um, yeah. In general, not uh, anytime you see me in a video of Mario Kart 8 uh, from from that event last week, not my best Mario Karting. Um, <laughs> it's doing pretty shitty. But it was also because I was just like, oh, look at this item. Oh, I wonder what's over here. Oh, crap, I ran into a wall. But, uh, yeah, so you, you have a map, so pretty much like the, the DS slash 3DS second screen, mm-hmm. and you have a mirror of the TV. That doesn't mean, like, say you're playing two-player, 
and there's one person playing on the TV and the other person playing on the game pad? No, you can't do that. That is not something you can do in Mario Kart 8. Really? Yeah. So, like, if we were playing split screen and I wanted to have, be like, oh, I'm just going to play on the gamepad while you play on the TV, I'd be looking at a fucking split screen. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is really bad. Yeah, no five-player, no nothing. And I think, I mean, the game does look gorgeous. and It's still Mario Kart. Um, it still would be, it still will be a, fun, a ton of fun with four people. It's just that sure. there is no point in using the gamepad for that game at all outside of single-player so off-TV play. That is it. That's unfortunate, because, like, that's something I'm for sure going to play with my wife, and if we could play online together with one of us looking at the gamepad and one of us yeah. looking at the TV you, you, in the full pl- screen. The two of you will still be able to play online together. Um, right, just but in split screen. Yeah. I mean, Still don't know a lot about Mario Kart 8's online, but it seems like it's going to be like Mario Kart Wii's. Yeah. Wow. Well, there you go. So so all, all of your impressions and everything will be up this week, then. So yeah. by the time this podcast is live, you can check that out. Um, and, and probably watch some funny videos of Neil, which is always an enjoyable time. Um, this is pretty good to tie it back to Pokemon. I mean, this is like playing Pokemon and then finding a shiny Pokemon. I mean, when you come in for a discussion about yeah. Pokemon Battle Trophy <laughs> and then you end with like, oh, here's some details about Mario fucking Kart 8. Yeah, like, I feel like we shouldn't <laughs> even mention this in the show notes for the episode. No, I think that this will be a little prize for everyone who's, who's <laughs> made it through this 15-minute segment. <laughs> uh, Enjoy. Yeah, uh, I think that's that's it. If you have any questions about Mario Kart, uh, feel free to hop on the website and ask us in the comments or hit us up on Twitter, connectivity at NintendoWorldReport.com. Yeah. All that stuff. Or if you have questions about Pokemon Battle Trails, yeah. which you won't. You won't have any questions. <laughs> it's pretty um, straightforward. Right. <laughs> well, Neil, thank you for being here. Thanks. And uh, we will talk to you guys later. Yeah, yeah. Bye. Bye. Alright, and that will do it for episode 128 of Connectivity. As always, you can send us your listener mail to connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com. You should be sure to rate and review us on iTunes if you haven't done so yet, and follow all of us on Twitter. Go to nintendoworldreport.com and look for the Twitter sidebar on the right-hand side of the page to find our usernames there. And be sure to support Colt County on Kickstarter if you haven't done so yet. Now, if you'd like, please stick around for a bonus segment all about the finale of How I Met Your Mother. We'll see you next week. Welcome to a fun little bonus segment here on Connectivity. Uh, I'm Neil Ronahan, and with me is Zach Miller. Hey. And we're here to talk about the series finale for How I Met Your Mother. Must um, we? 
I mean, wasn't really planning on this, but Zach and I have a, a special kind of vitriol to share yeah. with all of you um, in this, you know, in a short, short bonus segment. Um, for those who don't know, uh, How I Met Your Mother was a show that aired on, I mean, this is, CBS. Yeah, it aired on CBS. It is now in the past tense. It's done um, for nine years. Uh, and for a long time, it was one of my favorite shows on TV. Um, I know nine retro- years, right? Holy cow. Retroactively, I fucking hate it. <laughs> uh, the finale, I thought, had some good moments. No. And I think the last season in general had some good things about it, mm. but I feel like they focused on the wrong things. Yeah, and, uh, and they betrayed and I, every character in the finale. Yeah. So we're just going to go character by character and then uh, end up on the whole titular mother stuff mm. that... I think is where the show completely fucking falls apart. Yeah. Um, so let's start with the kind of the, I guess the, the static ones, uh, Lillian Marshall, uh, played by Allison Hannigan and Jason Siegel. Um, good Lord. I don't, I don't know if I have even in the episode. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But also, I mean, that's kind of the role for the past season or two, because they haven't had as much to do. That's true. But you know Um, what? But here's the thing about it in the final episode, like, you didn't say this before, but it skips ahead like seven years, year by year. And, you know, it's like all of a sudden they're having a third kid. All of a sudden he's going to be a Supreme Court justice. All of a sudden, you know, they're moving to Rome. What the fuck? And it's just everything happened, but nothing happened. Yeah, yeah, because the way that the, the last episode is an hour-long episode and that past season, for those who haven't seen it, and I feel like if you're listening to this, you probably haven't seen it, or you don't give a shit, which is why we're going to explain it. <laughs> Um, and it should be go without saying, uh, lots and lots of spoilers, hmm. tons of spoilers. We're gonna spoil the whole damn thing. Um, but like they make this big to do over certain things, like you know, oh, is is Marshall gonna be Marshall got an offer for a judge? Oh, he has to compromise. Oh, but he gets it anyway. And then he becomes a Supreme Court justice, which is totally fine. And I kind of found it funny how everyone else is kind of spinning their wheels, and Marshall's just very quietly. Like, just going through his his entire career arc. But then at the same time in the finale, Lily basically is just like a baby maker. Yeah. Um, This this finale, to an extent, not, I mean, not not that I, I I feel like this is a, I don't feel it's a major, major issue, but it is worth pointing out how uh, the women kind of do jack shit. And everything's driven by men in this final episode. That's true. I would say on the whole, the show's done a good job of not doing that. Uh, yeah, you know, they have a yeah. cast of three guys and two girls, and, you know, yeah, you know what, Ted is the main character, so sometimes it'll be a little more male-driven. But they did a pretty good job bouncing that, except for this finale, where Lily is reduced into a baby maker. And, and crying I, for one scene. Yeah, and I think a little bit of that has to do with it. There really hasn't been that much to do for Lillian Marshall. Um, but, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I still think they're fine characters. I don't think they really get totally assassinated in this finale because they're not really there. They're not really there. Yeah. Um, and then we get to Barney and Robin. Um, the entire oh last season God. was built around the weekend that Barney and Robin got married. And in the finale, within like 10 minutes, we they're find divorced. out that they get divorced three years later. It's like, why did you even get married? Yeah. It's like, why did you have this huge buildup over it? Whole season. Really? Yeah. And then over the course of the finale, you see Barney go to becoming a womanizer again, and then he comes back because 
he gets accidentally gets a woman pregnant who you never meet. Yeah, by they the just way. Never refer to her as number thirty-one, which is fueling speculation because there still is How I Met Your Dad, uh, oh, okay. which is going to have a pilot. Yeah, but I re- I read today that that show's not going to have anything in common with uh, uh right. Mother. Uh, but um, um, but yeah, yeah. So the Barney so he has thing a... just ended so bizarrely. Yeah, because he he goes back to his womanizing ways after uh, getting divorced with Robin, and then. He, you know, goes into it hard, but then has a daughter and then falls in love with his daughter. And that's uh, the last time you see Barney. Yeah. It's just so weird to me. I do. I do. I mean, I think it's a, a testament to Neil Patrick Harris, who plays Barney, uh, his his ability that I think he really does sell that scene where he sees the baby for the first time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But but they needed a season to build that up. Yeah. I mean, like they I wasted feel, I, the season on yeah, him and Robin. Because, and they also focus so much around that fucking wedding where it's just like if they just made it like things are happening in quadruple time and they're yeah. going through. Like I wish they could parse this out over an entire season because then it might solve some of the huge glaring issues with this where now we're getting to the characters where those are evident with. Um, Robin's role in the finale is just to being leave? a miserable sack of shit who um, gets really career driven and everyone thinks she's a cold, stupid bitch. Yeah. But for some reason, uh, Ted's future children love her um, because we find out that basically the entire point of the show is not really how I met your mother. It's how I talked my kids into letting me bone Aunt Robin <laughs> six years after my wife died. Yeah. Um, because they have, you know, a kind of a kind of good monologue from Ted at the end of it where he's talking about love and, and all that jazz. And then it just ends. And, you know, and when your mom got sick. And I don't even think that he ever he ever utters like you know when your mom died like I mean obviously the kids know that their mother's dead, right. um, and we find out that she gets sick and died. But it's like done in such a flippant way, like no time at all. Like one minute they're happy. Oh, and by the way, by the way, Neil, uh, you know they want he's he's like a diehard romantic. Gina brought this up. My wife, he's a diehard romantic. He always has been for the whole show. Uh, they're engaged for like five years and then just get married on a random Thursday. Like, come yeah. on. I mean, like what, what kills me a lot about it too, is that I really, I, I did not watch every single episode of the past season. I kept up on it though. And I would kind of, whenever yeah, I hear too, that some cool shit happened, I'd, 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 I'd pop in, see what was going on. Um, I really liked what they did with the mother character. Um, she she should Tracy. have been yeah she should have been a a character like yeah. like she was barely in the finale yeah I mean and I just think they did a good job of you know basically forcibly inserting this character into the group and it worked yeah and and I feel like part of the reason how it winds up where the show is about you know Ted pining for Robin and then ending up with Robin after his wife dies is because. I feel like the creators, to an extent, didn't want to gamble on what if people don't like the mother. Um, and that's why I think yeah, that's I why I think they were really reserved with her throughout the season. Yeah, that's probably um, true. And I and I think that that like that was kind of like I don't know a shitty bet. And it's also as as I'm sure you you might know Zach um, how they have the crap where uh, they filmed you know the scene with the kids, so they they knew this was the end game since season two. Right. Because um, they filmed these stuff with the kids at the end back in season two, which adds for a kind of weird little bit of CGI dumbness where you have the kids from 2006 uh, talking to Ted from present day. Right. 
and the kids haven't aged at all. They actually did a fairly good job of aging the characters, I thought. I I disagree. Some characters more than others. Like, I did like how, like, Ted and Marshall would just get gray hair. Yeah. Um, Lily would have ridiculous wigs, and, like, the mother and Robin never seemed to change. Yeah, that's if true. If you do the math, Robin's supposed to be, like, 50. At oh, the really? End of, at the end of that. Because you think it's, like, 2030. Oh, you're right. And all right. they do that is, like, oh, let's give her another haircut. Like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was just so... Yeah, well, I guess she would have been, like, mid to late 40s, because I think all the characters... Like, they turned 30 in, like, 2008. They're around that that. Oh, okay. Age, yeah, so, yeah, it was around the same time. I don't know, man. It was just a bad way to end the show. I, it's, it's like they tried to cram a full season into an hour. Yeah. And, I mean, There's I just... no I, emotional resonance to anything that happened. It just really bugged me. And, I mean, it's 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 the flippantness that it goes from being... Oh, you know, love is wonderful. Oh, yeah, your mom got sick and died. And then the kids just being totally okay with, like, hey, Dad, you should go fuck Aunt Robin. <laughs> and they're all about it, too. And he's yeah. like, really? Should I? Yeah. And, I mean, to me, it just it really it cheapens the entire the build up to everything. Everything kind about the pet. cheapens the whole it, show. Yeah. Like, I mean, because it's like you're building up to this one thing and then at the end they're like, Oh no, we were just kidding. We were building up to something else. Yeah. And you laid all these cards out and I feel like something that, you know, the creators were trying to do is having like, Oh, you know, that's life. Life happens in unexpected ways. And I'm like, I don't know. Like you can't really have like the title of the show. Can't be yeah, a it's, red it's herring. A fucking sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> and like, granted they have had their good moments. Like, you know, the, the, the episode where Marshall's dad died, like, handled really well. Oh, yeah. And I just don't think they handled this well. And I think there's a way, like, you know, if they did split out what what happened over the course of a finality to even a half season, um, I think it could have been a lot better because if you yeah. did have something where, like, you know, the mother dies and then, like, Ted's grieving for an episode. I know. He didn't grieve at all. Yeah. yeah. And literally, I under, and mom I, died. Yeah. Let's go bone Aunt Robin. Yeah, and I understand that, I mean, there is a six-year gap between when the the mom dies and he's telling the story. So, you know, you take a step back and you're like, okay, you know, it has been six years. Kids seem to be okay with it. He seems to be okay with it. They're just really well-adjusted. <laughs> um, but you don't see that as a viewer. So it's just like, no. it, it kind of comes out of left field. And, I mean, it's not like they were really shy about that they were heading towards this, because, considering that, you know, most of this has been about how, like, uh, Ted and Robin, are they destined to get, or no, it's Barney and Robin, but, but Ted yeah. still likes Robin. And, like, they, they made a couple veiled references to the mom possibly dying in a couple other episodes. Right. Um, but it's just, uh, it's just a bummer. It, it really because is. Because I really, I really did enjoy the show, and I, and I do think that the finale just kind of shits on everything yeah. that came before it. Because it, it, there's part of me that's curious to see some episodes and seeing if knowing what happens at the end colors it. But I no, don't even. I don't think they. But I. No. But I don't think I ever want to watch the show again. No, I and and you know the the really. The sad thing for me is like, uh, you know, Lily and Marshall do kind of end on a more or less you know happy note. They're kind of just bland. Yeah. Um, but I what really killed the show. The worst part of the episode for me was what they did with Barney. Like he does a 180 degree thing, like out in the out in the waiting room. Remember, there the nurse comes in and says, "You know, 
we have news, we, and he's yeah. like, I'm not the father, yay! Yeah. And he says, oh, just kidding. And then a second later, he is all about this baby, and that's the last thing you see of Barney. And yeah, nine seasons of Barney not being that at all um, really bugged me. Yeah. And he got married to Robin, for God's sake, and then now he's not anymore. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. I just, I I didn't like it much. Yeah, it was not good. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be all, all about uh, what, what was your What was your least favorite part of the show? I mean, really, uh, probably when Ted has a shit-eating grin holding up the fucking blue smirk God, penis. that was so fucking stupid. Um, because it's also like, I don't know, over the course of the show, at least as far as I got it, was that like, there was a reason why Robin and Ted didn't work out. I know. It, it would have worked out by now if it was going to work yeah. out. And, and also, especially when you saw Barney and Robin together, and it seemed like they came to a pretty good resolution. Yeah. And and then, you know, okay, I get it. You know, you do want to have, like, oh, they were really happy, and then three years later they weren't. Like, you know what? Shit like that does happen. And while the abruptness of that does cheapen the entire season because it was focused on the fucking wedding, you know, I, I can kind of get that. But it's just like that... That whole like oh now Robin's just pining for Ted all the time and it's it's not like they 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 telegraphed how this was gonna end, but it just like it just didn't work. No, it didn't have they, any resonance because it yeah. happened ten minutes later. Yep. So, fuck it. Yeah, and then there's all this. Did did you see anything? I mean, I don't know how much of the past season you did watch, but with the whole shit with like the mother having the love of her life from when she was like twenty one. I don't. I did see that episode, but I don't yeah. remember much of it. Yeah. Um, and I don't like. I, I I have seen some stuff on the internet where people are talking about. It. It's like, well, the mother's with her true love, and now Ted's with hers. I'm like, no, nah, that's a load oh, of shit. Christ. I'm, like, I'm sorry. There were a lot of things I liked when I was 21 that changed. Although, <laughs> I mean, I guess I've been with the same woman since before I was 21. So. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Uh, so maybe nothing does change now. <laughs> um, but yeah. If All you right. wanna, if you want to talk with me and Zach about this uh, anymore, you can hit us up on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, I'm at Enron10. Zach, you are? At ZMiller1902. Yeah. Or you can find us at PAX East next weekend. Oh, yeah. In Boston. And we can, we can go, well, Zach doesn't drink, but we can go have a beer. Mm. Talk about the finale to How I Met Your Mother. Amen. And video games and play some fucking GameCube. <laughs> see what's going on at the Renegade Renegade Kid booth down on the floor. Yes. You know, we can go play some play some board games, hang out, have a good time. Uh, get awesome. some dim sum, you know, that, that jazz. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, if you want to bug us about it, go for it. If not, uh, then, That's yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yep. I don't. I mean, I, we got this out now. We we vented. We did. And now it we're felt good. good. Yep. I'm never watching that show again. Yeah. Yeah. Now I need to find a new <laughs> show to watch and then get mad when it ends. Archer. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. We should start talking about Archer now. Yeah, man. Um. Although I haven't had. Yeah. Maybe we'll bark down that tree another time. If you yeah. want to hear us talk about Archer, uh, <laughs> send in some send in some listener mail to connectivity at nintendoreport.com because maybe we'll do that. Because that show is fantastic. It's really good. All right. Bye. Bye.